Let's read from Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin at verse uh, 18. This is the word of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now skip over, if you will, toward, uh, to verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, listen, some of you are new here, some of you haven't been with us, but we've been in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a portion of Scripture that Paul wrote to a church, a group of churches in Asia Minor, that tells you what the church looks like in all of its beauty. There, what, nobody was sleeping with their mother-in-law, nobody was doing anything heinous, there was no gross sin going on. It was just, what does the church look like? Paul tries to lay it out as clearly and as succinctly as he can. And so he says in the first three chapters, you remember, this is what God has done for you. Like, you're not a Christian because you got God's attention because you were so clean cut. God broke into your life and he changed you. And so the last three chapters are about what, therefore, your duty is in light of what God has done for you. And when you get to chapter 5, he talks about this word walk. He uses it five times throughout Scripture. You know, you see it in 4, 17. No longer walk as Gentiles do. You see it in 5.2. And walk in love as Christ loved us. You see it in 5.8. Walk as children of light. And then here in verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk. And it says to look carefully how you walk because you are no longer darkness, but you are light. And we tend to read past that verse, and it says you no longer are in darkness. That's not what the Bible says. It says that you no longer are darkness. And Paul is arguing in this part of Ephesians 5 that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that one is nicer than the other. Like, like we all have stories of people who aren't Christians that were like, they're a whole lot nicer than we are. But the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is one of status. That you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are light. And Paul says that because he says that we actually are deeper and darker in our natural state than you ever have realized. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. You remember, um, remember the old Burger King ad that said, have it your way? Remember this? It's like, you know, have it your way, right? A Burger King, have a burger like you want. That is the essence of what sin is. Having it your way. Little did Burger King know that they were actually helping us with the definition of sin. But the essence of sin is having it your way. And therefore, by nature, we are completely in the dark. And God has brought us into the light. Not only that, but he has made us light in the Lord. And so we talked about that uh, 
the last couple of weeks. And I mentioned last week that being one who's filled with the Spirit is like getting drunk. And so this week we're going to ask and answer that question. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, especially in Tulsa, Oklahoma? What are the marks of being filled with the Spirit? And what in the world does that have to do with marriage? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What are the marks or the fruits of one who is filled with the Spirit? And what does that have to do with our marriage? Okay? Are you with me? All right. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We hear that term all the time, to be filled with the Spirit, especially around Tulsa. There's a lot of Bible colleges around, and they're talking about, you know, do you go to a Spirit-filled church? To which you respond, well, I think I do. Like, what do you mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And Paul says to be filled with the Spirit is just like getting drunk. I mean, he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why would he use the comparison of drinking alcohol? Oh, too much. Getting drunk with being filled with the Spirit. What happens? What happens when somebody, you know, the word to get drunk just means to be soaked, to be be completely saturated in it. When, When somebody gets drunk, when you drink too much alcohol, I mean, why do people drink? They drink to get purpose or to get meaning or to to wash out the troubles of their life, to have a sense of clarity, right? I mean, that's why people go to the bottle all the time. In fact, if you go to an AA meeting, people who are in AA actually have a very, very, they are very insightful about what it means to be filled with the Spirit because being filled with the Spirit and being drunk have many similarities and differences, many similarities. You drink in order to get meaning, to get purpose, or you go to the bottle in order to get courage. You have an important meeting or you have somebody you have to meet. And so you drink in order to have the courage to say something that's very, very hard, right? People who struggle with alcohol will tell you that's one of the reasons why they go when you get them in a moment of clarity. But what's the difference between being... You see the, you see the distinction, right? I mean, the same... This, the, the picture of being drunk and the picture of the Spirit is replete through... Like Peter... In Acts chapter 2, what did they say about Peter in Acts chapter 2? Like he's preaching before the people and he's filled with the Spirit. And what did they think he was? They thought he was drunk. Because the similarities are so very similar. But what's the difference? Any book in pharmacology will tell you that to be drunk or to give yourself to alcohol, to be overcome with alcohol, depresses. It's a depressant. And so it dullens your senses. And so you have a big monster or a bill or some, something that you're trying to drown out. It's not that that guy disappears. It's the problem is still very, very real. But your senses are deadened. So you don't see the monster. And you trick yourself into believing in a reality that is simply not there. But with the spirit, it's not a depressor of your senses. It's a stimulator of your senses. And it gives you a heightened sense of clarity about what is really true in the world. And so when Paul uses this illustration, he's certainly not condoning drinking alcohol to the point of getting drunk. He is simply saying it's in the same sense. You guys know as you drink wine, you get carried away, you get happy. The spirit does the same thing except it doesn't wear off. There is no headache. 
And for the same purposes, people go to get the bottle for meaning and for purpose and for courage. The Holy Spirit gives you those exact same qualities, except it lasts and it doesn't depress and dull in your senses. It actually stimulates you. It gives you a whole new sense of reality because it makes things that were once opaque clearer, namely the Father's unbelievable love and acceptance of you. And therefore, you just feel overcome with a sense of God's love. It's almost like getting drunk. But in the best sense possible, because it lasts. And instead of depressing your senses, it stimulates you. It heightens you. And so when we see or hear about people in Tulsa or in Oklahoma, you know, do you go to a spirit-filled church? You know, we're kind of hard-pressed to know what they mean. Like, what do you... I think I do. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit in Scripture? I, I, think, I think if you're looking at Scripture well and you read the whole of Scripture, I actually think there's three different nuances of what that term means. And I'm going to lay it out. You might want to take notes because you get this a lot. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? When Paul was in Acts, uh, when he was walking on the, uh, the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, you remember, remember he was blinded, right? And he went in, and Ananias found him in the town. You go into the city, Acts 9, 6, and there I will tell you what to do. So he goes to the city, and Ananias is there, and Ananias comes to him and says, Oh, brother Paul, I am here so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul believes the gospel. The scales fall from his eyes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The first meaning of to be filled with the Holy Spirit just means conversion. You see that in Acts chapter 9. It just means that you're converted. So, you know, John Wesley, right? Um, what's the old hymn say? Um, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee, Right? He had this incredible sense of being filled with the Spirit. It was his conversion. But then you read in passages where it says be filled with the Spirit, and it seems to be very ordinary. It seems to just be this, the normal daily outworkings of the Christian life. Like the second question of the Westminster Catechism says what? What do the Scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man? What duty does God require of man? He requires the ordinary working out of yourself through the means of grace, through prayer and through Bible study, through fellowship like we're doing here together, through reading his word, through meditating on his word. The ordinary daily practices are called the means of grace. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5.18. Then there's another kind of being filled with the Spirit where you see where the Spirit comes on somebody in a very, very powerful way. It's not that there's a second blessing. You have the Holy Spirit completely when you're converted. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit, but you can get a greater sense of his love and his presence in your life. And this happens like in, in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John heal the man of the beautiful gate. Remember, he says, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you, rise and walk. And the guy leaps and jumps for joy. And the Sanhedrin drag them into the court and they say, what are you doing? And Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. And it says that Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, 
verse 9, and then a couple of verses later in Acts 4.13, it says, they saw that they were ordinary unschooled men and that they had been with Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit in a very, um, in a very real way. It wasn't a different way. It was a difference of degree and of awareness. This is so important for us to get in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I had lunch just this week with the pastor in town, and the whole driving force was talking about the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Friends, there is one blessing of the Holy Spirit, and that is ours received upon conversion. But the Lord does give us little glimpses of his love in a very real and very powerful, almost palpable sense to remind us of how much God loves us. And we are, therefore, to embrace those moments. And you probably think of those in your own life, and you remember those times when you had just this incredible sense that God was there. If you read some of the uh, diaries of the Puritans, you see this, um, you see this a lot. Um, for example... There's an old uh, uh, Puritan named John Flavel, and he wrote back in the 1680s. And he wrote a book called The Treatise of the Soul of Man. And this is what he wrote. He said, one day I set off on that day to examine the state of my soul. So one day this guy, John Flavel, just goes out into the woods just to have a time of prayer, just reflect upon the state of his soul and to think of the life to come. That's a pretty good idea. Like a lot of our troubles would probably not be as severe as they are if we actually took the time to, to do that every once in a while. That's why these guys had to kind of walk with Jesus that they had because they're doing this. And after a while, I found my thoughts to fix and to become so much closer to the great and astonishing truths that I have ever usually experienced. I found my heart rising to these truths with a liveliness and a vigor, my thoughts began to swell and to rise until they were an overwhelming flood. Such were the ravishing tastes of heavenly joy and my assurance of taking of them that I utterly lost sight of the world for several hours. So here's a guy just availing himself to the means of grace, going about his normal Christian life. He goes on a prayer retreat and he like loses track of time because he's overcome by this incredible sense of God's love for him. And I didn't know anymore where I was and if I had been on my bed asleep. And then he says he goes to an inn and he is communing with God the entire night as he's interacting with these guys at the inn, probably enjoying some libations, I'm sure. And he's there with these, he's not weird, he's not like talking, he's just, he's interacting with these guys, but beneath his interaction is this deep sense of communion with Jesus. This deep sense of joy that what the Bible says of me is really true. Like, I really am loved. And he's overwhelmed by it. And he says, I couldn't help praying. I just, I couldn't help meditating on God's glory. All night, I couldn't get to sleep. And the next day, I got back on my horse, and I was aware of the ebbing of the tide. And by nightfall, though there was a sweet serenity and peace upon my spirit, it was as if the transports of joy were there ever after. The feeling went away. But the experience of that didn't for John Flavel. It marked him. Have you ever had one of those experiences where after you're a Christian, the, the, you just had this overwhelming sense of God's love for you? 
That is what Scripture says is being filled with the Spirit. It's an incredible awareness of the sweetness of his love for you and for me. And one of the the ways that we interpret this passage is with other passages of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles open, flip over to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, listen to the similar language. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's almost the exact same verse, except being filled with the Spirit is replaced by what? I lost my place. Letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. So, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to avail yourself to the means of grace. It means to dwell upon God's Word and to let it so change you that you begin to believe what it says about you. It's to be mesmerized by his law. It's to partake in Bible study. It's to, yes, spend time with the Lord. It's to come to the Lord's table. It's to do the daily things that Christians are called to do in light of his work in your heart. And some of you, some of you have been coming to Trinity for a while, especially those of you who didn't grow up in in a, a church like ours, and you're coming here, and you have this renewed sense of God's love for you. Like you're seeing God's power in your life in a new way. And some of you um, uh, can think back on your life and you remember very distinct moments like when you became a Christian. And when you became a Christian, it was, it was as though like the sun was rising. It was piercing the horizon of the earth. And for you, you can tell me exactly when that happened. Like I know that on June 29th, 1986, I became a Christian you know exactly when it happened because the sky was clear and you saw the sun pierce the horizon and you knew it. The rays of light flooded your soul and you saw it. But for others of us, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't really remember when you became a Christian because the sky was really cloudy. And the sun pierced that horizon at a definite point in time. You can go ask the meteorologist. It did rise at 742. But you don't know when it rose. You just saw the sky was lit and the shadows were on the move. It does not matter if you can look back at your life and say, I know when I became justified. I know when I became a Christian. That is not that important. You know who knows? Christ. And he loves you. The important thing is, do you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you're seeing the shadows begin to move? That high noon is coming when one day those shadows are going to flee. It is so important for us to be able to develop the kind of culture and atmosphere at Trinity where we're availing ourselves to the means of grace. We're encouraging each other to go to the word. That we're a spirit-filled church because we're relying on what God's word says. And while some people will tend to say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit moves in a very powerful, very real way, and you've got to kind of work yourself up into a spiritual lather to get it. There's this overwhelming sense of joy, and it manifests itself with certain signs. Other people say, no, 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 just use the Bible, dummy. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Just read it. I, actually, both of them are onto something, aren't they? Because when you read the Bible, you are overcome with this overwhelming sense of his love. When you sing on Sunday morning, Like when you sing, 
you are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. I mean, you are so good to me. You heal my broken heart. You're my father in heaven. That stuff just sings. And it reminds you of God's great love for you. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18? It means to have an ordinary operation of the Holy Spirit's work in your life such that you have a new sense of awareness of his love for you. And how do you know that? Well, what are the marks? What are the marks? Does it say that you will um, begin to, to, to do certain things, that you begin to pray in certain ways? What are the marks? Look, what does the Bible say in 19? It says, you will start addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this submitting to one another. What are the marks of being filled with the Spirit? Their singing, their contentment, their gratitude, and there's a new humility about you. Like Those are the marks of the Spirit. The marks of the Spirit are singing. Like if you, if you take the hymn books that we put together and you look in the back of the hymn books, you read the histories of those hymns, like, you'll see that the hymns of the church kind of come and fits and starts. It's not like there's a hymn every three years all throughout church history. There's like an incredible amount of hymns around the 1740s. Why? Because there was this incredible outbreak of revival along the East Coast in America called the First Great Awakening. And then the hymnody dies down, and then you see it come alive again around the early 1800s. Why? Because the Second Great Awakening happened. And then it begins to die down, and then again toward the end of the 1800s, you have this, this huge influx of hymns being written. And today, you see this in East Africa and you see it in Asia. There's incredible revival going on. And whenever there's a revival, there's this new sense of God's spirit. And one of the marks of being moved by the Holy Spirit is new hymns are being written. People are singing in new ways. You know the hymn... Um, Amazing grace. You know that when it says that there are some songs that are spiritual songs, it says uh, psalms, which is just Old Testament, right? You're just reading the psalms of the Old Testament. That's what it means. Hymns, those are where you're writing things in response to what God's doing in your heart. And then spiritual songs. Commentators do not know what that means. They think it means that people are writing spontaneous words of praise. And you see that in hymns like Amazing Grace where Newton is just overwhelmed with God's grace in his life and he writes this, the former slave trader. Or you see it written, you know, those, uh, some of those old hymns like um, Take My Life and Let It Be. Remember that hymn written in 1874? Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee. You know, take my head, take my hands, take my feet. That was written by a woman named Frances... Uh, Havergal, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but she was going one day on a, on a five-day trip on a vacation, and there were 10 other people. Some of them were converted, some of them weren't, but the Christians were all unhappy. And she says, oh Lord, help me get through this week, and I pray that you might use me in the lives of these 10 people to show them God's amazing love for them. And so she gets through the course of the week, and surely enough, 
She goes to this house called the Arley House for five days. By the end of the time, these sullen, unhappy, bitter Christians are turned to joy with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And so she sets out that night and she writes that song. Take my life and let it be whatever only all to thee. It was a spontaneous mention in her diary of one night in response to what God had done in the life of ten of her friends. So when it says spiritual songs, it means that there's just this overwhelming sense of God's presence and power and people write about it. You know, um, what's interesting about being drunk and being filled with the Spirit is that songs are actually written both times, right? Like, you know, the English pubs, you know, they created an hour of the day after tea time when guys were coming home, and what do they call it? The happy hour. And guys would flood into the pubs and they would drink. And what happens whenever you drink? You get creative. Your inhibitions fall away. And so people begin to write songs and they begin to sing. And you know what this is like. It's the same way with being filled in the Spirit. You get so overwhelmed with God's sense of love and of presence, He gives you an incredible sense of courage and of meaning and of purpose that you begin to write spiritual songs. That they begin to help you process what it is that you're called to be and to do. Like hymnody, writing songs, writing poetry, You know, this is the sermon for creative people. Like, this is where you shine. It's like God makes artists out of all of us whenever you're filled with the Spirit. Because it's a very real experience. And you can't keep it in. You just have to explode in this sense of creativity. So one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is there's a new song in your heart. There's a new gusto with which you sing. God's people sing. The second mark of the Spirit is that you have a new and profound sense of gratitude. Notice it says you address one another in songs, hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why God gave Israel the Ten Commandments? Do you know why God gave all of us the Old Testament? It wasn't because God wanted to tell us that you know you must rest, for example, on the Sabbath. God gave us the Ten Commandments to teach us how to be thankful for what he's provided for us. And you show me somebody who can't keep the Sabbath. You show me somebody who can't really rest, and I'll show you somebody who's not grateful. Like, think about how ingratitude is the source of almost every one of your sins. In fact, it is at the core of almost every one of your sins. Below pride, below your, is a sense of ingratitude. Like you're not thankful for what he has done for you. You're comparing yourself to other people. Gratitude is a comparable quality because it shows you that over against what God has done for you, how could you not be unbelievably grateful? Like you sit here listening to my voice, wondering when I'm going to stop and shut up. But listen, you you hear my voice with relative um, comfort. It doesn't hurt to inhale. Like, that's an amazing act of grace. Go walk through St. Francis next week and you'll understand it. Gratitude is always comparable. Like, the Parkers are so glad Jack's back in full health because they saw the condition he was in. 
Are you availing yourself enough to God's word to help you see what you had to be grateful for? Or are you always driving through your subdivision going, man, I wish I had three cars in my garage. You show me somebody who can't rest very well, and I'll show you somebody who's not grateful. Because you don't know when to stop and shut the computer or turn your phone off. You always feel like, I've got to do one more thing. And God says, I've called you to rest. On the Sabbath, it's a day to relax, to trust me, to be grateful for what I've given to you. To not wear yourself out. Or people who are bored. There's a lot of people who are bored around here. Why are you bored? Because in part being bored is because you have a spirit of ingratitude. Like if you were overcome with the great sense for which you have to be thankful. Like you have a lot to be thankful for. It like wipes boredom out of your life. Like you're overwhelmed with this incredible sense of oh my gosh. Like how can I be bored? Like. The grass is green, it's not raining, and this is going to be awesome. You know, you, 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 you have this renewed sense just to enjoy things that you didn't enjoy before. You sing different. You have a new s- sense of gratitude in your heart. And there's a new humility about your life. There's a new submission, which is what, what, which is what takes us to the final point. What does marriage have to do with being filled by the Spirit? When Paul is thinking of illustrations of what it means to walk by the Spirit, He thinks this isn't just a personal change. This blows out into the way that you interact with your spouse, into the way that you interact parents to children and children to parents, and in the way that you interact with your employees and employers. And what Paul says marriage is, is marriage is a picture to the world. It is a billboard to the world of what it's like when you're filled with the Spirit. What it's like when you're walking in the daily means of grace. You become a picture of Christ's love for his bride, for his church. And marriage is a tool to sharpen your understanding, to deepen your self-awareness, to break you of your selfishness, to move you into deeper repentance in order that the light of Jesus Christ may shine, to give people glimpses into glory. And even within marriage, you have little glimpses into glory. That's why he, he says, you shall leave your father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. Like that act is a glimpse into glory. And God says the marriage is to be a billboard for the world to see how much I love the church and the way that he loves his wife and the way that she respects her husband. Do you do that? There are a lot of marriages in our church that are very, very strong, but there are a lot of marriages also, friends, that really aren't. They're not healthy. And one of the reasons why they're not healthy is because you're not grateful for each other. Like you're comparing your spouse to somebody else and you wish you shoulda, coulda, woulda. The Lord has given you the spouse you have to honor and to glory and to enjoy him forever. Do you do that? When's the last time you took your spouse took your husband or your wife, you guys went out on a date, and you just sat at the table, and you were just overcome with a sense of, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that you said yes to me. I am so thankful for you. I mean, it's easy for some of us, you know, like the Rutmans, this is easier. They've been apart for two months because Brad's been overseas in Afghanistan. But for others of us who are always with our spouse, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, please get out of my hair, you know? 
But the mark of being filled with the Spirit is a mark of profound sense of gratitude. Do you let your spouse know how grateful you are to them? And don't, don't tell me it's about a personality. I'm not very good at saying I'll think for life. No, you figure it out. And love your wife, men. And love your husbands, ladies. It may not be writing him love notes. It may be folding his laundry. But whatever it is, begin to see that gratitude is the driving force behind healthy marriages. It's what it says. There's a new kind of gratitude. There's a new singing in your heart to the Lord. There's a new submission, a new humility. You become less defensive. You become more self-giving and less self-serving. And the only way you can do this, the only way you can do it, of course, is what? Is It's the first half of Ephesians. What God has done for you in Jesus Christ. It empowers you to see how could you not be grateful in light of what he's done. And this begins to transform you and change you and melt you by his love. And so being filled with the Spirit is not magical. It is partaking of the ordinary and it is allowing the Holy Spirit to show you that the most mundane, ordinary things in your life, like your spouse... Like coming to the table, as we're going to do here in just a moment. Like reading your Bible. These are means of grace that God has given you to help you become more grateful. To help you sing in your heart to the Lord. To help you have a new and renewed sense of humility. Because that's what people notice when they compare Christians to non-Christians. Those are the marks. You are a different kind of person in light of Jesus' work for you. It is not a matter of degree. You were darkness, and now you are light. Because the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself, came. And he sang to you how much he loved you. He was grateful to his Father in heaven for the privilege of being able to die. And he gave up everything. You try to go live in a shack by the Ganges River. That's what he did. And he came for you because he loves you. And he wants to begin to renew your life by the filling of the Spirit, a new awareness of his presence, by helping you see that in the ordinary things of our life, not the extraordinary things, he reminds you of his great love for you. And the only piston that we have to drive the engine of Christianity is the piston of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And that's what the Lord draws you to today. He calls you to it. To repent of your self-serving attitudes to repent the fact that you haven't really sung in your heart to him because you're not that grateful and to see that he has called you by his own submission to his father's will to joyfully submit to your spouse who he's given you or to pray for your future spouse Lord willing one day you're able to be married friends filling of the spirit is one of those doctrines that is so important to understand Because that language is tossed about in Tulsa so much. Are you a spirit-filled church? Yes. Because we partake of the ordinary means of grace to change us, to help us sing in light of what God has done for us. Can you say that about your life? I pray you're able to as you prepare for the supper. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we really want to have an experience of your grace. Sometimes, Lord, that comes easy to us. Sometimes, Lord, it's hard because we're tired. We're worn out. 
And Lord, I pray that you'll teach us that more and more of the ordinary outworkings of our life, not the extraordinary circumstances, but the ordinary are the things that you've called us to be obedient to. You tell us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command. So Lord, help us to have a greater sense of awareness. Help us to enter into repentance, to recognize that you are already at work in our heart. Would you do this, Lord, we pray. Would you melt us by your love as we prepare for the table and as we give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.